It is uh, November 3rd. It's uh, 2013. Our message this morning is giant killing. And uh, we're going to start in Isaiah. While you get to Isaiah 42, I want to tell you, I've just come back from Zeke and Kathleen Lamb. They have got a church off of the ground in Washington, D.C. They're witnessing to their neighbors. And Brother Zeke is preaching on the baptism and the Holy Ghost almost every week. They're seeing signs and wonders. And uh, I'm just proud of them. I want everybody to know it. And you would do well to dedicate time to pray for them, to support them in any way that God would lead you. They're as much a part of us as we are them. And uh, this is going on now all over the place. Nick and uh, Gabe are in Chicago with the Arising Church. And they just got a building this last week. Isn't that exciting? You know, they went from a living room to a building and they're seeing lives changed and filled with the power of God. One of our elders just came back from uh, Arkansas and saw what's going on with Mandy and Kelsey Dime. They're, they're in the midst of uh, figuring out how to start a church there. The kingdom of God is advancing. While I was gone, Brother Baj delivered an excellent word on the cost. It's good to see when men have lived a message and then they preach it. I hope you'll see this morning that aside from all of the details that we share, this is just the beating heart of who Matthew Piro, Eric Stevens, how our families are. We believe that God will overcome enormous obstacles if you simply stand in Him. Amen? Okay, so in Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Many of you will recognize that this passage was quoted of Jesus. The passage was also applied to Paul. In truth, it is Christ. It is the nation of Israel and it is all those who are called by the name of Jesus. We are a light to the lost. He is bringing justice to the very ends of the earth. It may not feel just. Your situation right now. I heard this morning that someone suffered in the last few months the theft of an automobile. That's unjust. They said, why would they even steal it? It was so old and broken down, I didn't think anybody would want it, but I guess it ran well enough for them to drive it off. Come on, is that unjust? 
But our God is bringing justice. This morning, there may be sickness in your body that is unjust. It may be an attack from the enemy, but our God is bringing justice. This morning, you may have been dismissed from a job. And it may not be just, but our God is bringing justice. He's going to bring justice to the ends of the earth. And He will use you to do it. He said that He would be a covenant for a people. A light to the Gentiles. Come on, guys. When you see that very great light of God's justice, when you put your hope in Him, He sets you ablaze. He sets you on fire. You want to work on His team. You want to carry out His work. You want to be His hands and feet. I have entered into that covenant with Him. Where He says, go, I will go. Where He, where he walks, I'm going to follow. He is my Lord, and I am His bondservant. How about you, saints? Are you His bondservant this morning? He has a mission. He opens eyes that are blind. He sets captives free from prison. He looks to release those who are in dungeons of darkness. It may be dark for you today, but His light can break forth for you. And if it can break forth for you, then you can carry that message to another. You can tell him, I was once down, but not out. Because a righteous man can fall seven times, and yet the Lord is able to make him rise. Come on, is there a satanic power trying to defeat your courage this morning? Is there something trying to discourage you, try to tell you that you cannot succeed? Because I'm here to say he's a liar. And the only praise he'll get from us this morning is he's pretty good at his job. He's a good liar. He's been practicing a long time. He's deceived the world. And we are bringing the truth that washes away that deception. You do not have to walk in darkness. We don't have to be imprisoned in a dungeon. The living God has come to set us free. And I love this about him. He says, see... The former things have taken place and new things I declare. Any of you got a history you'd like to run from? Is there something that happened last year that you don't want to happen this year? The Lord is aware of where we've been, but He declares new things for us. This morning can be a brand new morning. You can walk out of here a different human being than you walked in here. You can walk out of here with a completely different spirit than you walked in here with. We are not condemned to sit In darkness, in the name of Jesus, the almighty power of God will set us free. He says, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Now, I'm going to confess, there was a time in my life I watched lots of movies. Whether or not you think that's holy or not holy will leave to a personal decision. Sometimes when you saw a movie before you were born again, and then you glance at it later, you forget All of the darkness that was woven into it. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you a clip this morning. I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm just, I highly edited the clip for you. Okay, because it was not quite as as I remembered it. But in 1971, coming out of the height of what people would call the hippie movement, a hero arose. His name was Billy Jack. Anybody remember Billy Jack? Oh, come on now. See, I was not quite around yet during that time, but they played the rerun all of the times and I caught it. God said that before something happened, he would announce it. And there is something bold about that. Something masculine 
about that. To be able to say, I'm going to beat you. Here's how I'm going to do it. And I dare you to stop me. Oh, it just, it lights a fire somewhere down in my soul. Susan, play that clip for us. Do you think those Green Beret karate tricks going to help you against all these boys? Well, it doesn't look to me like I really have any choice, now does it? <laughs> That's right, you don't. You know what I think I'm going to do then? Tell me. I'm going to take this right foot. And I'm going to whop you on that side of your face. And you want to know something? There's not a thing you're going to be able to do about it. Really? Really? Now, Billy Jack was a half-breed. And the premise of the movie is that he's an outsider come to act for justice in a corrupt town. That was the mayor he just kicked on one side of the face. I would like to tell you that in the midst of our darkest hours, the living God has already announced the way in which he's going to kick the devil in the teeth and use you to do it. And there's not a highly edited thing that anyone can do about it. You understand what I'm telling you? C.T. Studd was bold enough to use the word. Paul was bold enough to use the word. Jesus even used the word, but I edited it out today. And you can guess at it. Turn with me to Genesis 3. One thing that I love about our God is while he hides things within his character and invites you to search them out, his general battle plan for the ages, he's made known since the very first human beings. And the devil has tried hard to stop it. But there's not a thing he can do about it. He can't stop it unless you want to be stopped. Our God is able to fill you with power. He's able to wash you, set you back on your feet, not just once or twice, 10,000 times. I'm tired of hearing that God is the God of the second chances. In my life, He's been the God of the 10,000th chance. I am capable of fresh water and salt water all on the same day. I have seen the anointing flow for me and something very much not the anointing all in an hour of each other. I'm surprised I can get an amen out of our car party here. It's amazing the ways in which 22 hours straight will, uh, will affect your flesh on a trip. I'm happy to say that I've been to the capital of our country and I found the presence of God there. I went to the business capital of the world, the island of Manhattan, and I found the presence of God there. I went to a little gas station in the middle of Madison County, Virginia, and I found God there. The glory of the Lord is all over the earth. I sat next to a woman in a food court. Imagine me in a food court. And I had... I had Zeke's book with me and I just, you know, I thought it'd be a neat thing if his book got out in other places. And being the shy fellow that I am, I leaned over and said, I notice you're reading something. You know what would be better than what you're reading? This book. Not only was she a believer, she grew up next to Norman Grubb, a famous theologian. And I found 
the presence of God in a food court in Washington, D.C. In the midst of all of our trouble, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our gloom, He is working and He's inviting you to work with Him. We are not a hopeless people. Not even your sin is big enough to stop God's plan. Joseph's brothers sinned. They shackled him. They put him in a hole. And God still raised him to be the savior of the world. And in Psalm 105, God took credit for it. He said, I sent Joseph to Egypt. I'll let you theologians figure that one out. It's too wonderful and brilliant for me. I would just like to say God's big enough to unscramble your eggs. Amen. Are you all in Genesis 3? That's okay. Okay, so here comes Genesis 3, verse 8. It's a familiar passage, but you you love me enough to, to hear it anyway. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, even God likes this autumn weather. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's not good. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The picture of God in the Bible is a God who wants to be in connection with you. He is looking for and seeking you out. He looks for the strays and He brings back the lost. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed to Him that He may strengthen them. God called to a sinful man. We can focus on Adam's sin all day long and this preacher's preached more sermons than I care to count about Adam's sin. But look at the heart of the Father. Do you believe that God doesn't know that He sinned? But He's looking for Him anyway. And He's looking for you anyway. He is not looking to cross you off His list. He's not looking to dismiss you. He's trying to get you to stop hiding behind religious trees and come out and deal with Him so He can make you a light of the world. Amen? Amen. Where are you? said God. Funny for a being that is everywhere at once, huh? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked or naked if you like. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? My, my parents used to ask me questions that they knew the answer to. I'm going to clue you in, young people. Tell the truth the first time. It'll go easier for you. Did you take my car last night? There would be one that the very premise of the question would suggest they already knew I did. Might as well just fess up now. Maybe it'll go easier for me. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. Shake your head, ladies. That's good. You, you, you can give a finger wag if you want to. It's been going on a long time. Your husband's not the first. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Apparently anything you put in front of most men's face, they will eat. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now you can hear a thousand sermons preached on this. And men and women that are learned of God have read their Bibles all their lives call this one of the first messianic prophecies in the Bible. And it's usually first in the list of prophecies about Jesus. But who was God speaking to? He's not speaking to Adam. I hate to, I don't want to correct anybody this morning. He's not speaking to Eve. Look at, glance back up at the verse. It's verse, uh, let's see. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, our God announced the battle plan to the enemy. It's like standing in front of him and saying, I'm going to whop you on that side of your face with this foot. And there's not a highly edited thing you can do about it. Not a thing. You know, I just love the macho bravado of our God. There were problems in the heavenlies. There was warfare raging in the heavenlies. Can you put on the screen for me, Susan, Job 4, 17 through 18? We're going to stay in Genesis for a minute. I just want you to see it for a second. Even the heavens have got problems, so don't be surprised your workplace does. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, who does he charge with error? Apparently, even the angels. How about Job 15, starting in verse 14? What is man that he could be pure? Or one born of woman that he could be righteous? If God places no trust in his holy ones... If even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less man who is vile and corrupt, who drinks up evil like water. Suffice it to say that there's a problem even in the heavenly realms. It turns out that Ephesians tells us something. Turn with me to Ephesians, the third chapter. Say there when you're there. Now look at the third chapter in the 10th verse. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Saints, this is a human drama. Even the powers in the heavens are watching God make bold claims that only God can fulfill. He can say to a woman, or say to a serpent, rather, there's going to be a seed that's going to come from this woman, and you will strike him on the heel, but he will crush your head. Genesis 3.20 shows that Adam understood what God was doing. Because in Genesis 3.20, he names Eve the mother of all the living. He does it on the very day that the whole earth receives a death sentence. Apparently, Adam saw hope in the midst of his darkness. He saw a God who wanted to search for the lost and make them the light of a gloomy world. There were defections in the heavenlies, friends. 
There were powers that are unseen that were working against the plans of God. And he simply says, I'm going to take this man's foot. I'm going to put it on that side of your head. And there's not a thing you're going to be able to do about it. You may strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Anybody in here been stricken? <laughs> I mean, you get up, it's a beautiful day, you're excited and your tire's flat. Or, sweetheart, your car's just not there, right? You want to go out and do something for the Lord. You feel like a superman in His presence, but you keep tripping on your cape and falling on your face. Am I the only one ever has those days? Come on now. I want to assure you that anybody who ever wanted to do something for Jesus has those days. Sometimes those days stretch into longer than a day. We are called to do amazing things that even the powers in the heavenlies cannot stop. Didn't Paul tell us our battle was not against flesh and blood, but against those spiritually dark forces? Didn't he say that? Sometimes our view of the heavens is so simplistic. And because it's simplistic, we forget the ways in which our lives are being put on display to show even something in the heavenlies about the power and faithfulness of God. You may not know a thing about Billy Jack other than that clip you saw, but you like him already, don't you? You, you don't know anything about that mayor, but boy, they chose a slightly corpulent mayor with a slightly protruding jaw, his nose a little bit up in the air. He was begging to be kicked, wasn't it? It was. It, it was almost like his face just wanted to collide with a foot. Guys, every time the devil grinds your face in it, you just need to remember something. His nose is in the air. His lying mouth is sticking up slightly, waiting for the foot of Jesus. In the 16th chapter of Romans, and in the 20th verse, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You hear that? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You were made to walk on serpents and scorpions, no matter the way in which they rise against you. Of course you have difficult weeks. Of course you are opposed. The enemy heard the battle plan. He heard it, but he is powerless to stop it. As an example of the way in which the war rages, I'm not going to read it to you this morning because you know the story. The Bible says that in those two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they both brought offerings. And it's pretty commonly taught that out of those offerings, God was displeased with one of the offerings. Have you heard that taught? I want to read you a verse that may clear that up. It's verse 2 of chapter 4. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, say that, on Cain, on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Why did God not look on Cain with favor? First John in the third chapter says because his actions were evil. You can find that around the 12th verse. 
His actions were evil. It turns out that God does not favor a man who is trying to commit evil actions because it's contrary to what he wants to accomplish on the planet. How do we step into the favor of the Lord then? We trust Him enough to tell us what actions are righteous and what actions are evil. Too many sermons have been preached on one bringing fat and the other bringing vegetables. I want to tell you the truth, the Mosaic Law required both, so honestly God is pleased with both. He's not pleased with an evil man no matter what he brings. Say, I can't buy my way into the kingdom. Come on now, I can't buy my way in the kingdom. And God won't exclude me from the kingdom because I'm not rich. I know we've been taught in these last 20 years or so that money cometh. (laughs) We've been taught that this gospel is a means to financial gains. It's a lie. All they ever wanted was a man who could put a smile on his face and go out and do the work of God. That's all they ever... Everything else is simply resources to do that. I've never been concerned about money unless I didn't have enough to do the next thing God told me to do. And even then, you cast your concern on Him because He's going to take care of it. Guys, in the very first generation, you see the great battle in the human drama happening. God warns Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Who is that not true of? It's it's true of every human being in here. When you want to do good, Paul said in the seventh chapter of Romans, evil's right there with you, isn't it? (laughs) I'm singing praises in the car, driving down the road, a little bit above the national speed limit. And uh, having such a good time. But in the very same hour, I can bark at my wife and tell my kids to shut up when they were just trying to ask a question. I know one of my sons said, don't do it. (laughs) We have got wickedness right next to our righteousness. And it is a lifelong struggle, but he received a personal visit from God. God visited Cain and said, there's sin right there. What do you do when God visits you? See, because Cain was sullen and angry and committed to his sin. His face was downcast. It's the first frown in all of the Bible. Even though God himself showed up to show him what he needed to do, he went out and murdered his brother. If we are committed to sin, God can't bless us. But if you see sin as an enemy that is trying to destroy your life that you desperately want to overcome, then heaven is smiling on you. And that sin is not separating from you, him from you, no matter what the theologians say. If it did, no one could be saved. He will credit you with righteousness in the middle of your nastiness. And then he will teach you to walk rightly because he wants to make you a light to the whole planet. It turns out that even in the heavens, there's yuckiness. That's skipped over. It's not talked about an awful lot, but it's there. And God puts us on display before them as part of the human drama, the same way we just watched that film clip. But we are real people, and these are real lives. In John 9, a man born blind, don't know how old he is. Is it his sin that caused this, or is it his parents' sin? The question came up, right? Like, of all the possible options, Jesus, we're going to pick for you the two that we know it must be. And of course, Jesus, being Jesus, said, neither. You're not even in the right ballpark. It's that the glory of God might be displayed in his life. Oh, yeah. David said it first, and amen. And when we hear that Jennifer's struggling to carry a baby but doing it, 
We all go, amen. But can you imagine that at 2 o'clock in the morning throwing up and wondering whether they should go to the emergency room? It's not all, amen. amen. There are those thoughts like, what did I do for this? Amen. I mean, I looked and she carries a baby easily and, and they care. And Lord, why? When we read John 9, we find out that it's the glory of God being put on display. But you know who doesn't always feel like it's the glory of God being put on display? The one that's being stricken on the heel. Right? They don't feel good. We don't like... And, and you love our Christian friends, right? Because we're trying to encourage each other. And we say all of these little churchy things like, get the victory. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, that helped. I mean, now I feel much better. In addition to grumbling, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> An eternal perspective, though, is that we have to encounter bad guys. We have to encounter the enemies of God if God is using us to triumph over them so that the heavenlies can watch and learn a lesson that says don't mess with God. And the Bible story is a Bible of real human beings encountering real physical problems that originated in the heavens. I want to tell you not every problem you have is just natural occurrences, but even a very spiritual problem shows up in very natural ways. Amen? The water was real that God split, that the uh, Israelites were saved through and the Egyptians were drowned in. It was real, but it was split through spiritual forces. Amen? There are spiritual powers that are acting in your life in actual natural ways. The faster we recognize this, the quicker we can learn to fight about it. Turn with me to Genesis 15. Say there when you're there. Those of you that know me for a while know I, I... If you want to hear a message out of the New Testament, you almost have to come on a Wednesday night, right? I love the New Testament, but I don't hear enough preached out of the older, and so I feel compelled, right? You don't have to be compelled to listen if you don't want to, but while you're here, I'm going to do my best. And Genesis 15, start with me in uh, Genesis 15. <laughs> After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Basically, God is giving Abram a very great promise. I will shield you. I will be your reward. And what is Abram reminded of immediately in the midst of his struggle? I don't have the one thing you told me about. Uh, my, my estate, my legacy on this planet is going to have to go to a servant. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Before you casually read that next verse, put yourself in his position. There was a promise given to Eve that somebody was going to come from her body. It was actually declared to the enemy. It was declared to a snake. And he was going to crush the head of the enemy. Now we have a man who's trying to walk in that promise. He's heard Yahweh God. He's left his home. He's left his family. He's left everything that was of comfort to him. And he has set out for an inheritance that God will give him. 
And the very most basic need in this life, to have a child born of a promise, is not happening. You ever get discouraged on the way? I do. Starting this church was one of the hardest things we've done in our whole lives. And I can't tell you the number of worldly wise counselors that told us it couldn't be done and the number of pastors in this city that said the last thing we needed was another church. It was difficult. And along the way, I was tempted to grumble and sometimes I gave in to that temptation. Praise God for godly friends. Amen. Amen. Look at your brother Sam, I'm going to help you out this morning. Oh, come on, do it. Say, I'm going to help you out this morning. Now put a smile on your face. You just took a great step away from Cain. The first murderer in the Bible announced his murderous intentions by the frown on his face. Don't scare us this morning. Smile at us. So, God takes him outside and he shows him something in the heavenlies. Look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. The man who is standing on the earth had received a heavenly promise, but he didn't see it happening in the ha- on the earth. So God says, look towards the heavens. There is wisdom in this. Sometimes you cannot see in your daily life the promise of God coming about. He's not moving as quickly as you would like. You're discouraged. Sometimes you just need to raise your eyes to the one that hung those stars in the heavens, and he will show you the truth. The truth and a fact may be two different things. The fact is water does not split. The truth is God splits it. The fact is five loaves and two fish are not enough to feed thousands of people. But the truth is God can make it happen. The fact is you may be down and out in a center. But the truth is God has called you to be a saint and you're not so down and so out that you can't be overcoming and stepping on the enemy's head. That's truth. Let us receive truth this morning. Let us look up to the heavens and see it. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Both Abram and Cain had an encounter with God. Both of them had a problem in their lives. But one of them walked away committed to his sin and the other walked away believing God and being credited with righteousness. The same man that was grumbling is now filled with faith. How are you going to leave today, friends? Are you going to leave filled with faith? Are you going to leave grumbling? Are you going to leave staring at a heavenly promise or looking at an earthly obstacle? We have a choice every day. We have that choice. I'm saying this morning, let your eyes inwardly rise to the heavens upon the author and perfecter of our faith. He will complete this promise in you. You are not going to perish in the name of Jesus. In Genesis 15, we see he's credited with righteousness. Then there's a restatement of some of what has happened. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? If you just told somebody it was going to happen and they said, how would you be angry? But God is full of loving kindness. His tender mercies are beyond description. He gives him reassurances. If you think back in your life, God has been reassuring you from the beginning. If he simply spoke once to you and then expected you to believe him, never to hear from him again, you would have failed a long time ago. But he restates his promises to you and he gives you loving encouragements and affirmations along the way. 
Boy, if we want to imitate him, we need to be careful the standard to which we hold other people. Maybe we should encourage them along the way. Maybe we should affirm them along the way, not just speak once and declare them a failure. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old. In a heifer we have a burden bearer, in a goat we have a sin bearer, and in a ram we have the king of the sheep. Each three years old, maturity, along with a dove, the symbol of the Holy Ghost, and a young pigeon. Dirty man. Abram brought all of these to him. Cut them into two and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Guys, mankind would not be the one that would be the sacrifice and neither would the very Spirit of God. But there would be a burden bearer, a sin bearer, the king of the sheep, who would be cut into two to bring you into the very presence of God. In the ancient world, covenants were not promises with handshakes. They were cut. Literally something had to die to seal the promise of God in your life. So you've seen little boys, pinky promise, maybe maybe prick a finger and take an oath, they're blood brothers. In the ancient world, the way that covenants took place was something died. It was a sign that it was precious what was about to be promised. It was also a sign that if you broke the covenant, you should die. Kind of universal language, isn't it? And so what would happen is Matthew and I, we would make a promise for me not to violate his land, him not to violate my land. We'd take our little family wiener dog, we'd cut it in half, show the seriousness of the promise, and then we would both walk through those halves. This was a sign that we were in agreement. If we broke the covenant, we should be broken in half. I want you to notice the way in which God proceeds from here. Abram brought all these to him, cut them into pieces and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. It seems that what was about to happen on the earth, even the powers in the air were trying to stop. And a man of God had to fight them away. Guys, the promises in your life, the undeniable truth that God is speaking to you, you will have to contend with the powers of the air to keep it in your heart. You will have to fight with unseen forces because the heavens have never been pure. We are part of the purifying agent. The prince of the power of the air was at work here. But verse 12, he didn't stop it. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Can anybody say, oh, thank you? Sometimes to get from point A to point B in God's plan in your life requires more suffering than you would like. I mean, is there anybody here that said... I want to affect the world for Jesus. Anybody in here say that? Okay, three of you. I'm going to keep preaching. Anybody in here want to affect the world for Jesus? Yeah. Now, what if you knew that you had to fight for that covenant? Okay, well, pastor, I'll fight for it. We'll contend with those birds in the air. What if the deeper revelation was you're going to have to fight through lots of slavery and for generations this may not be accomplished, but in the end it will. You getting a little queasy yet? Sometimes the prophets would get glimpses of things like this and throw up. I mean, Daniel got weak, nauseous when he realized 
what the people of God would have to go through to see the plan of God fulfilled. You know, the formulaic Christian TV simply says, you know, it's done. It's done. Go get your magic pill, get your magic anointing, get your magic prayer cloth, get your magic, and it's done. But the truth is, we have gut-wrenching warfare in our lives. And it's not always as easy as just saying, it's done. God announces a thing before it springs into being. He tells the enemy, I'm going to whoop you on that side of your face, but that battle is still not over. And we're some 6,000 years into it. We are a part of it. This is where trust in Him comes. So Abram is getting this promise. And in the middle of it, he's told there would be a 400-year period. Look at verse 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God's able to do more than one thing at one time. He's able to refine His people. He's able to test their faith. And He's able to give someone grace that He knows will not receive it and bring them together at the perfect time. Not everybody you witness to is at a mark of salvation in their life. It might be that moment in which God holds them accountable for having heard the truth and turned away from it. That's not up to you. What is up to you is it is your job to speak when He says speak. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. When the two should have joined hands and walked through those pieces, each having equal responsibility to keep their covenant, God knocked Abraham out and walked through them for him. This is the unconditional nature of God's promise in your life. Your job is to trust Him. Performance is simply not a part of it. You try to perform because you trust Him. You act in faith and you do miraculous exploits of righteousness because you trust Him. But if it was based on performance, then the man of faith that our life is patterned after would not have been asleep when the covenant was made. Guys, I want to free you from the feeling that because you failed yesterday, you cannot succeed tomorrow. Or that God is some kind of angry scorekeeper looking, going, you always fail. You fail all of the time. God calls to a man he knows good and well is in sin, hiding in the trees because he longs for you. He delights in giving you the kingdom. Just like Abraham had to fight with birds of the air, we fight with spiritual powers and they lie. They lie and they deceive and they will tell you that the promise of God is true for everyone but you. In the name of Jesus, the promise of God is true for you or it's not true for anybody. Truth is truth. The man who crucified Jesus asked, what is truth? You need to understand that when we do not know the truth that's revealed from heaven, we can't help but work on the wrong team. You are made of tainted materials. You were born in diseased original sin. But once that truth is revealed to you, you're altogether righteous in His presence. And now we're in a fight. Our God has declared, I'm going to whop you on that side of your face, devil, and I'm going to use Sydney to do it. I'm going to use JJ to do it. I'm going to use Alex to do it, Larry to do it, and there's not a thing you can do to stop them. And what are his tools? discouragement, lies, slander, failure, 
Is it any wonder that over and over and over the heroes of the faith in the Bible are told, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. God knew that if they kept their eyes on the heavenly promise, He could do anything through them. And if they took their eyes off the heavenly promise, nothing could be done. I think that's the entire point of John 15. Perhaps we should do this. Let us turn to Genesis 6. We got at least 15 minutes, huh? Are y'all in a hurry to leave? Y'all doing okay? All right. Keith, you doing all right? <laughs> I got the wink. I got the wink. That's, a, that's an affirmation. Let's go. Amen. Heavenly defections. This is a subject you don't hear every day, and I'm not going to preach about it a great deal. I do want to tell you, if you want to learn a lot about the Nephilim, look up a message called Ancient Accounts. You'll figure it out. Here comes Genesis 6. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. In this verse, you can hear two different groups. We hear the sons of God in Hebrew, Benai Ha Elohim, sons of God and daughters of men. We have these two different groupings because we're literally talking about two different things. We're talking about sons of God and daughters of men. In other words, something that was born of God and something that was born in an earthly way, something that came from the heavens and something that came from the earth. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. My personal opinion is about 120 years uh, later, a flood would come upon the planet. Then the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown." These verses are plainly stated in the sixth chapter of the Bible. And I don't want to take you through a theological lesson this morning or all the arguments that surround it. This morning I have the supreme privilege of simply telling you what I believe about them and the way in which it can encourage you. There is an argument that we're speaking about the descendants of Seth. That argument didn't exist in rabbinic literature anywhere. It was never held by any of the Orthodox Jews that first read, wrote, transmitted this scripture. It didn't exist in the first 500 years of the canon. Uh, neither did Irenaeus hold the view. Neither did Justin the Martyr hold the view. Neither did Josephus hold the view. Josephus said that when we're speaking about the Nephilim, we're speaking about what Hesiod said, the gods came down to the earth and created hybrids. Hesiod said that about the Greek pantheon of gods. Now, I'm not here descending our biblical encouragement today into Greek mythology. That is not the point. The point is perhaps Greek mythology is simply a ripoff of biblical truth. Josephus said that these men were giants. There was a translation of the Older Testament at a time period when the world spoke Greek. God wants you to know the word, and if you don't speak it in the language it's written in, He wants it to be translated into your language. Anybody want a Bible in their language? Yeah. Yes, we're fortunate to have many in the English language. Did you know there are still places on the planet where they do not have Bibles in their language? Shouldn't we do something about that? I think we should. This church gave 41.5% of its revenues to foreign missions because we want to do something about that. In two years, 
almost $200,000 because we want to do something about that. They translated the 39 books of the Older Testament into what scholars abbreviate as LXX. It's the 70. It's the Septuagint. 70 of the world's finest scholars translated Hebrew into Greek because the world should have the Bible. That was the feeling. The whole world should be able to read this. Now, in Hebrew, the word Nephilim simply means fallen one. And uh, certainly I could see how that could be the case. They're fallen ones. Something from the heavens cohabitated with something on the earth, and there were fallen ones. When they translated into Greek, they used the word gigantes. What does that word sound like to you? Giant, gigantic. Gigantes means two things in Greek. It, it means giants, <laughs> men of extraordinary size, and it means out of the earth. Maybe you could put all three of those things together. Something that fell, that was out of the earth, that was giant. In any case, the Bible uses the words here, they were men of renown, heroes of old. This word is gibor. It means mighty. They had a dramatic effect on the planet. Now, I would love to teach all about those things, but I've done it too many times. This is relating to something. Something defected in the heavens because the heavens weren't pure. There was a promise that was given to a woman and a man spoken to a serpent. Somebody's going to come from your body that is going to crush the head of the enemy. And even the heavens heard this. Rebellious powers in the heavens and they tried to stop on earth in a very natural way what was happening to advance the promise of God. Man, you ever have a day when you know you're not just fighting with regular things? Supernatural traffic? <laughs> Whatever the mystical force is that moves somebody 20 miles an hour under the speed limit into the far left lane and they refuse to get over? I don't know. It comes from the devil, though. Jim says it's God bringing divine order to my day. I say it's satanic opposition to be fought through. It's good to have two perspectives, isn't it? So, we see this happening, and a flood obviously cured this problem, but the problem is Genesis 6-4 says it happened afterward also. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 7-1. This will start to make better sense, and it won't sound like your pastor's just lost his mind. Say there when you're there. By the way, since I'm not teaching on that whole thing, you really should listen to ancient accounts if you have questions about it. Say there when you're in Deuteronomy 7-1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show no mercy. Doesn't that sound harsh? It does. It sounds harsh. Turn with me to Numbers 13. Say there when you're there. In Numbers 13, we'll get back to preaching in a minute, but you have to know what we're talking about. Numbers 13, look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread this rumor among the Israelites, a bad report about the land that they had explored. All the people we saw there were of great size. 
We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Why on earth am I taking us down this road? God announced he was going to kick the devil on that side of his face and there was not a thing he could do about it. But the devil is a liar, a deceiver, and a murderer. So in the first generation, he causes one man to kill another man. God intervenes. He comes and speaks with Cain personally. But it's not enough. Cain chooses what is now known as the way of Cain and he becomes a murderer. Then we get to a place where the heavens themselves are having wholesale defection and it is corrupting the race of men on the planet and God chooses a man who is righteous and blameless. Look into those words one time. One has to do with morally acceptable and the other has to do with physically acceptable. More than 50% of the time it's translated in the Older Testament it speaks of a perfect sacrifice. He chose Noah and his family and he began again with them. What happened immediately after the flood? Noah got drunk and naked. The battle has been raging. God is confronting men. And some are yielding to one power and some another. He moves forward all the way to say Abraham. And what was Abraham told? Keep your eyes on the heavens. You're going to get all of this land and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. But first, there is a 400 year period where your offspring will be enslaved and mistreated. The devil heard the promise given to Abraham and he spent the next 400 years seeding the land that the Jews would have to go into with giants. Have you ever read about Og of Bashan? His beds 12 feet by 6 feet. The Anakites and the Rephites and the Emites and the Zanzumites are all men that the Bible says were giants. And they're the first people that the Israelites have to face when they go into the promised land. How many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? We have no problem believing that Goliath is nine feet tall because the Bible says that he's over nine feet tall. But suddenly this is a foreign concept that needs to be explained away. I want you to understand that when God spoke to Abraham just like he speaks to you, the enemy heard and he moved in opposition that would be difficult for the Israelites to deal with. What did they say they looked like in their own eyes? Grasshoppers. When we face problems, they may not just be natural occurrences. Even spiritual powers show up in natural ways on the earth. Maybe the woman at your work that hates you and is slandering you and saying negative things about you doesn't even know why she does. But maybe... I was thinking of a woman who was a Jehovah's Witness that I worked with. No amount of kindness would win her over. No amount of love was winning her over because the spirit in her hated the spirit was in me and she couldn't even understand why. God had called me there to be a light and the enemy had seeded the place with opposition. Now when we look at this opposition that stands before us, be it a stolen car, a lost job, sickness in our body, whatever it is, and we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes, it causes death. The men who said that all died. A whole generation of people spent 38 more years in a desert dying because they couldn't face the giants that God said they were going to overcome. 
In the charismatic realm, I don't know. Let me say it this way. I grew up in the Baptist church, and if we needed to have an argument about turning on a light, you formed a committee to do it, right? Uh, and if the committee was six in favor and four against, then you turn on the light. If the committee was six against and four in favor, then you did not turn on the light. Anybody seen churches like that? Well, in the charismatic community, you, you, you have one that throws the light switch and nine that rebuke the spirit of darkness. I mean, it's like we don't understand that natural things also have to accompany the spiritual. Because if Satan is going to stop you, the way he does it is put obstacles in front of you. And they may have spiritual origins, but I want to assure you these were real giants. And most of the men saw the very real giants and their courage failed. It's one thing to tell somebody who is fighting with cancer, get the victory, God's going to heal you. It is quite another to stand with them and have joy when they don't. And pray for them and see bad report after bad report and you still love the Lord and you still believe He's going to heal you and you still trudge forward. These are very real giants. And maybe they're simply sown of heavenly powers that defected to discourage the people of God from getting from where we were called to be or where we are to where God called us to be. I would like to say that Rather than read you all of the scriptures that tell you what you already know, Deuteronomy 2.9, 2.20, and 3.8, those are all scriptures that say there were giants in the land. Giants everywhere. Seven nations to overthrow and all seven had giants in them. In 1 Chronicles 20, we list a giant with six fingers and six toes. 24 in all. We list giants throughout the Bible. But this morning, your biggest problem is probably not that you face a six-fingered and six-toed giant. But I bet we could sit with you, have coffee and look in your eyes. There's a giant in your life standing outside your walls assaulting the promises of God. And our God announced before He ever showed up, I'm going to kick him on that side of the face and there's not a highly edited thing that you can do about it. You need to understand that our faith faces the obstacles and overcomes them. Turn with me to Romans 4. You're going to want to go to this. Romans 4. In Romans 4, starting in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Oh, that is so beautiful it needs to be said again. Say, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I would like to encourage you not to deface your Bible, not to edit your Bible, but you should write out that statement for you. Against all hope, Eric in hope believed. You should write it out for you. Against all hope, Baj in hope believed. Our faith does not deny the circumstances that are standing in front of us. It simply says, I'm going to kick you on that side of your face and there's not a thing you can do about it. Our faith is masculine and bold. God announced before the problem showed up that you could whip it. We need to gather our Holy Ghost courage in these situations. 
What is happening is around us. There are men who are tickling itching ears that simply say if you're in faith, the giants won't show up. If you're in faith, they're not really there. Just deny that they're standing in front of you. It is a lie. We face these things and say our God is going to whop you on that side of your face. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. What did he do with the problem? He faced it. He didn't deny it. He didn't say it wasn't there. He didn't say, here's my favorite. Just don't receive it. A woman told a friend of mine with bleeding hemorrhoids, just don't receive it. He came to me and said, what do I tell her? I said, too late, they've landed. Can you imagine, what does that prayer life look like? Lord, I know that these bleeding hemorrhoids are not really there and I thank you for that. What, what is God stupid now? Or is it just you who's stupid? See, Abraham faced his problem, but he believed God was able to do something about it. It's like staring at that corpulent little mayor with his nose in the air and saying, yep, I'm going to kick you on that side of your face and there's not a thing you can do about it. By the way, what was edited out of the scene were another 20 guys standing around. He was going to take a beating for it, but nothing was going to stop him from delivering that blow. Friends... The blow that Jesus dealt the devil when he said the prince of this world is coming for me but he has no hold on me, he took a serious beating to do it, a crucifixion, but it was a knockout blow. There is nothing that cannot be done for the people of faith. Watch this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. I want to tell you that we have a faith that looks into the face of the enemy and says, I see you. I hear you. I know that you're there, but you know what else? God is with me. And I'm going to kick you on that side of your face and there's not a thing you can do about it because I am in the camp that stomps on your head even if you strike my heel. This kind of faith has been there as scared little Jewish boys went out and faced the world and its imperial powers and brought the gospel at the cost of their lives because they were willing to be stricken on the heel that they might step on the devil's head. And on that resurrection day, when we stand in the glory of the King, they will be standing on the head of their defeated enemy. If we don't face these things, then the human drama is boring. There is no message for the heavenlies. There is no inspiration for those who are still imprisoned and blind. But when you face them and face them with courage, it lets every prisoner know, I can hear freedom. 
I can smell it. I can taste it because I watched Alex and Haley do it. I watched Steve and Dee Dee do it. I saw Charlie and Joe do it. And if they can do it, then by the power and the name of Jesus Christ, I can do it too. The world is watching and the heavens are watching. Turn with me to Numbers 14. Say there when you were there. We're creeping up on 12 o'clock. But I'm just hitting my prime and I want to give you a couple more scriptures. Here's Numbers 14. And it is so worth absorbing down into your soul. Look at the 24th verse. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valley, valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the sea. Understand that at a time an entire nation could not face Giants united because of their fear, united in the rebellion. God appointed one man and said, he will because I see something different in him. What did he say was different? His spirit. You want to know what the key to victorious living is? It's not just learning the word. It's not just praying. It's not just going to church. And much to the dismay of every greedy pastor on the planet, it has nothing to do with tithing. It has everything to do with being filled with a different spirit than the rest of the world. Then every other thing becomes possible. Of course you'll be financially uh, generous to the church and to the people of God worldwide. Of course you'll read your Bible. Of course you'll uh, pray. Of course you'll go do those things because you have a different spirit. A giant killing spirit. Exodus 15 says the Lord is a warrior. That is his name. When the spirit of the Lord enters you, he enters you to do warfare with the enemy because he announced a long time before you were here, he was going to crush his head. The mystery was you would be the feet that crush his head. He announced it to Abraham before it happened. And some of the people carried out the promise and some turned back. The difference was they had the right spirit or the wrong spirit. Ephesians 2 says that when we were slaves to the spirit of disobedience, understand we can be filled with the presence of God or you already are filled with the presence of the world. The presence of the world will never be pleasing to God. It will never rise up and face those giants. It'll make peace treaties. It'll live peaceably alongside them. But God is putting in His people a different spirit this morning. Turn with me to Samuel 17. That different spirit shows up in our heroes in the Bible. And in 1 Samuel 17, 40, says, speaking of David, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from a stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. What was the Philistine? 
a giant. What makes one man approach when all of the others are hiding in fear? He has a different spirit. I want you to know that David was not of the charismatic variety today that prays once and says anything else is not faith because he picked up five stones, not one. I like to believe it's because Goliath had four brothers. The scripture seems to suggest that. I bet David said we should have wiped out this whole race before we didn't get it done, but I can do it even if I have to do it by myself. I don't know how many stones it's going to take, but I know how many I intend to use. All that I have and all that heaven will give me. How committed are you to seeing these giants fall so that the power in the presence of God can go to the world that needs them so? Back to Joshua. Go to Joshua. We'll be in Joshua, the 14th chapter. Say there when you were there. Joshua 14, after this, I'm going to read you one more scripture and then we're going to give you a chance to stand up to your giants. In Joshua 14, pick up with me in the 10th verse. Are you with me? Now then, just as the Lord promised, this is 40 years after they failed the first time. He has kept me alive these 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Mr. Fred, you listening? 85 years old. That still makes you look young. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as He has said. The different spirit in Caleb didn't say they weren't there. He didn't just live in denial and call it faith. The spirit in Caleb said, I know they were there. I know that they've been there waiting on me these 45 years. And when they run into me again, I'm going to kill them all. The faith of the living God rises to meet these challenges. It boldly announces before the battle begins what God's battle plan is. And then you say, Lord, help me to carry it out. Guys, even if we were struck down before the battle was over, you're guaranteed victory. He has already credited you with righteousness. Now our job is to walk in what he's freely given us. These giants are not too big for us. Our last scripture is John 14. Say there when you're there. We'll be in John 14. We made a shirt that said in the giant killing business since 1000 BC. It was for one of our men's reloading events. And um, Jennifer and I were downtown eating at a deli. And I looked out and I saw all of these flags. And it was a protest. And um, <coughs> it was a Middle East protest. And as I ventured out into the parade to see what was going on, 
in a shirt that said, in the giant killing business since 1000 BC, with five stones knocking down Philistines, I realized it was a Palestinian Authority march. There's not anybody that can harm you unless God allows it. And if He allows it, it is for His glory. Would you love Paul if he had never been harmed? Oh, we say we would, but the reason you read what he wrote is because you know what he went through to write it. You want to be esteemed as men and women of faith, then you have to know this giant and every other is going to fall. And we have to face them. We cannot be the kind that hide in holes. All right. John 14, starting verse 28. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I have told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. He's talking about the moment in which he would be stricken on the heel. The moment in which it would look like defeat. But that promise from so long ago said he would be stricken on the heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. So at a moment in time, when he knew they were going to see him stricken on the heel, he told them in advance so they could believe. Our God has announced his battle plan in advance so that we can believe. Are you going to encounter trials? Of course. Are you going to encounter vicious giants that kill most? Of course. Is there going to be difficulty in the heavens and on the earth? Of course. And he told you the battle plan in advance so that you can believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. How can he say that? We go, oh, well, he's sinless and he's the son of God. He also heard the battle plan. He heard that God was going to use him to crush the enemy's head. And he believed. But the world must learn that I love the father and that I do exactly what my father has commanded me. The second chapter of 1 Corinthians said that if the heavenly powers had known what they were doing when they crucified him, they never would have done it. Jude, in the sixth verse, speaks of the angels being charged with guilt. I want you to understand that there's been defections in the heavens and defections on the earth, but God announced his battle plan to the very first human beings, and he did it while facing the enemy and the serpent. They were a bystander listening to the God's proclamation, I'm going to crush you, and I'm going to use them to do it. We get a choice today how we want to face that heavenly destiny. Do you want to be a part of the team that is stepping on the devil's head, but it takes courage? Do you want to be the guys that just get along easy and just go by life like everyone else? I believe he drugged you in here this morning and some of you came in here happily because he has a whole new way of life for us to embrace. I believe that we are not those that have to be victims or entitled to some government handout. The King of Kings signs up more people every day than that website ever will. 
He's never down, not even on the weekends. And his premiums aren't going up. He already paid them for you. And he set you an example. I want with all of my heart to go with him. I want with all of my heart to face those giants that are uniquely mine. I wish Charlie could kill him for me. He's been doing it a long time. I wish he could take my battle and win it for me and I could just ride on his coattails. But that's not the way the kingdom works. God ordained you, Jorge, to face your giant. He ordained Tracy to face hers, Judy to face hers, and Curtis to face his. But he gave you a solemn promise. He announced in advance that you would win. Our job is to say, the Lord helping me, I will walk in His Spirit and I will take the land He has promised me. Stand to your feet if you want to take the land.